We are considering the ninth commandment this evening, and we will consider that text from Exodus 20 as well. So before we read this passage from John 16, hear then what the Lord says in regards to the ninth commandment in Exodus chapter 20. The Lord says, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. That is God's word. And we read then in the the gospel of John chapter 16, uh, verses 7 through 11. Our Lord says this, he says this on the night on which he was betrayed to his disciples. Verse 7 of John 16. But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. Page 55, question and answer 112, Lord's Day 43. Let us read the answer together. What is God's will for us in the ninth commandment? God's will is that I never give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, not join in condemning anyone without a hearing or without a just cause. Rather, in court and everywhere else, I should avoid lying and deceit of every kind. These are devices the devil himself uses, and they would call down on me God's intense anger. I should love the truth, speak it candidly, and openly acknowledge it, and I should do what I can to guard and advance my neighbor's good name. Is there truth, capital T, absolute truth, is there truth out there? This is a question which many people today in our world, probably, not hard for us to believe, would answer in the negative. They say truth is what you make of it. Truth is relative. Truth is known by each subject. Whatever you make, whatever is your truth, that is true for you. There was a recent survey which showed that uh, most people believe that lying is morally acceptable if it gets you what you want. It's a legitimate means to an end. Thus, lying on resumes, in interviews, in the workplace, all have been shown to be basic habits of people nowadays who think that really all that they are doing is making sure that they take care of themselves or take care of their family or their loved ones. Cheating, lying in school, just as common perhaps. All of this kind of thinking is uh, twisted, of course, if we believe that there is truth, capital T, out there. 
And if we believe that the truth matters, although uh, moral relativism, truth is different, changes for each and every person, it's in many ways a, a modern phenomenon, but lying and shunning the truth has been going on for all of human history, dating all the way back to the first generation of our race. The consideration of the ninth commandment for us tonight begins in a very simple place. And yet the lesson is one which is extremely difficult to live by, isn't it? God desires us to live in truth, to be truthful and to be truth-filled, to speak the truth, to testify to the truth, and to let it shape all that we do and all that we are. God commanded us in this commandment specifically that we are not to bear false witness or false testimony against our neighbor. This set up the, the, the legal court system for Israel. All of court justice at that time was mainly dependent upon witnesses, on what people said. Truth was established and decisions would be made on account of a witness or witnesses. This is why the ninth commandment was so important for the nation of Israel. If they were to be peaceful, just, truthful as a nation, they needed everyone to know and love the truth, and it shows us the power of a witness. Even though in today's world we have forensic investigation and all kinds of ways to substantiate verbal claims and verbal witness in courts, this commandment is still important for us because it shows us the heart of God for his people. Thus, I'd like to highlight a couple things as we consider Exodus, as we consider the Gospel of John. And we'll really consider many things from uh, all of the sweep of Scripture. And it's these three things. God the Father desires truthful children. God the Son became the truth for us. And God the Holy Spirit witnesses to the truth and empowers us to be witnesses to the truth. God the Father desires truthful children. God the Son became the truth for us The Holy Spirit witnesses to the truth and empowers us to be witnesses to the truth as well. All throughout the Bible, we see evidence that God wants us to be truthful and truth-filled. But many examples of human failure in that way, aren't there? Twisting the truth, shunning the truth, lying to get ahead. A famous story in the Old Testament found in the book of 1 Kings, King Ahab saw a vineyard belong to someone else and he badly wanted this vineyard belonged to a man named Naboth. He offered the owner, Naboth, to exchange a better vineyard for it or to buy it outright. He's the king in Israel. He's plenty of riches. He can buy this vineyard. He has the money for it. Naboth said no because this was the inheritance of his fathers and his grandfathers. God had given his family this land. Remember in, in Israel, the the exchange of land was much different than it is for us in our world today because ultimately the land belonged to God. Naboth says no to King Ahab. This makes King Ahab very upset. But his wife, the king's wife, Jezebel, who's one of the more devious characters in all of scripture, she promised to get this vineyard for her husband. She practices some trickery. She institutes a fast in Naboth's city 
commands people in that city to make him as, as head of this fast. All the people in that city come together and she pays two men to become witnesses to a lie. They make up a story about Naboth that he cursed God. It took two witnesses in the Old Testament to substantiate these kinds of legal claims. Naboth is then killed for this lie. His men make up a lie about him. This man cursed God. Two witnesses, they attest to it. Naboth is killed. Jezebel says to King Ahab, he can go down, take possession of the vineyard. So he goes down to take control of the vineyard that he so wanted. But Elijah, the prophet of God, goes down at the same time to utter God's words of judgment against this king for this wickedness that has been committed. Ahab coveted. And then his wife killed Naboth and stole from him. Many different commandments being broken, but it all hinged upon a lie. Two false witnesses who made up a charge against an innocent man. And what this does is this shows us that the world is turned upside down by lies. The ninth commandment, of course, as we've said, is most applicable to the courts, the legal system. But it's not as if it doesn't have any applicability to everyday life. Because people go to court because there's something amiss. There's been an injustice done in everyday life. And it must be set right. Thus the command from God to tell the truth, to be people who love the truth and live by the truth, is something that applies to our everyday lives, which the Catechism brings out beautifully. It's not just when you're on the witness stand. God's people are to love the truth at all times. All of the problems of this world, of sin, death, suffering, wrongdoing, they all stem from a misrepresentation of The truth in the Garden of Eden. What was it that the serpent said to Eve that made her begin to question her faithfulness and obedience to God? Has God indeed really said? The devil, the serpent, called the truth into question. And since then, the truth, capital T, has eluded human beings more than it has found them. What has God said? Who is God? Does he love us? Does he exist? These are the kinds of questions that plague people. But these questions, all of the problems of sin in the world, stem from people questioning the truth and questioning the the validity of truth. Is God really holy? Would he really demand righteousness? Must he really punish sin? All of these are lies in the form of questions. If people knew the truth of God and lived by it, sin would never have entered the world. Sin came into the world when our race decided to believe a lie about who God was. And it has thus followed that within God's people and without half-truths or outright lies are always among us. And when it comes to the actions of others, we are never quite sure that we know what the truth is. What really happened in that situation? Who's telling the truth? Who's lying? Whose motives are pure? Whose motives are impure? For these reasons, we see such a need for a commandment like this. The Bible gives various examples of those who wanted the truth to come forth, of the vindication of the truth. Psalm 43, verse 1 David says this, Vindicate me, O God, defend my cause against an ungodly people. 
from, uh, from the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. Job, when he was accused by his friends, said that God would vindicate him, for God knew the truth. Job says this in chapter 16, even now, behold, my witness is in heaven, and he who testifies me for me is on high. My friends scorn me, my eye pours out tears to God, that he would argue the case of a man with God, as a son of man does with his neighbor. One of the great tragedies of life, one of the great tragedies of the sin-cursed world is that there are innocent people whose names and reputations can be ruined because of the lies and the impure motives of people around them. Oftentimes, reputations are ruined for a good reason, right? If someone acts in a way that brings dishonor to their name, that's one thing. But there can be innocent people uh, about whom lies are spread. This shows us the importance of being a truth-filled and a truthful people. God desires his people, his children, to be truthful. But we are not always that. We are not always that way. This shows us the power of a witness. A witness is not like evidence because a witness is not neutral, is it? A witness must either be believed or doubted, and whether we believe them can have enormous effects on the people about whom we speak. People can be convicted of crimes that uh, they did not commit. In the face of all of this, we see how do we reconcile this tendency of human beings to not be truthful and the need to be truthful as we live in the shadow of a holy and a mighty and a righteous God. There's a particular man who once stood trial. There were false witnesses who lied about what he had said. They took what he had said and just slightly altered it. I'm speaking about, of course, our Savior. In Matthew chapter 26, we read of the story of Jesus standing trial. It says this, Though many false witnesses came forward, uh, at last two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. Jesus had not said that. Jesus had not said that he was able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. Jesus had said that the Jews would be the ones who would destroy this temple, speaking about the temple of his body, and in three days it would be raised up. Because of this lie, Jesus was made to stand trial, and ultimately this false witness led to his death. Jesus never spoke anything that was untrue. Jesus never told a lie. He never misrepresented any event. He never spoke ill of anyone else. He never spread gossip. He never gave false witness. In fact, the very purpose of coming to earth was that so Jesus could bear witness to the truth, so that he could come and reveal the truth of God, the eternal truth of God, to the world. John chapter 8, verses 14 through 18, we read this. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself. And the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Jesus bears witness to the truth. The Father substantiates the witness of 
the Son. The works that Jesus did also bear witness about the truth. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, Jesus said. See, Jesus came to speak the truth, to do the truth, and to be the truth. Nothing and no one who has ever walked or been on this earth has ever been truer than Jesus. And yet, he was killed on the false testimony of two men. This shows us how close of a relationship sin has to untruth. We see it from the beginning of human history. Sin and untruth have this relationship together. Sin entered the world through the lie. Sin is often magnified through lies. And sin is often given its full power to do what it will because of a lie. In the course of a day when you are tempted with various things, anything, something that you know is wrong and it eats away at you. It is lies that continue to feed your desire as you are tempted to live, to, to, to give into a sinful temptation. Lies like this, God does not mind. God has already forgiven you of everything, so he'll forgive you of this. That person does not deserve to be treated uh, right anyways. No one will know or notice. And on and on it goes. We feed ourselves these kinds of have-truths, these kinds of outright lies about who God is or what he would do. God won't get angry. God is always gracious. We take a truth like that. God loves to be gracious. We we, we make it into a half-truth. We turn it around so that it would justify or vindicate an evil action. When we stop and think, we realize how easy it is from day to day, minute to minute, how easy it is to misrepresent the truth, to lie, to get ourselves out of a corner, to speak ill of someone else in order to protect our own name and our own reputation. That is why we must remember that it was only Christ, only Jesus who was true in all things from birth to death. He was the son who became truth for us because as we see that uh, God desires a truthful people and the failures of human beings from the first generation on, that for that Jesus became the truth for us. God, the son, accepted the judgment of man so that he might save man from God's judgment. As Jesus stood trial, the account of false witnesses, we should remember that... uh, Or we should realize that the conviction of Jesus Christ, the fact that he was convicted of something, falsely accused and convicted of something, should be a reminder of how twisted and evil our human hearts can be. The only sinless human being ever was sentenced to death on this earth. Capital punishment for the man who had never done anything wrong. Jesus became the truth for us. And then finally we see that the Spirit who empowers us uh, to live and walk in the truth. The Spirit bears witness to the truth and he empowers us to live and walk in the truth. In Christ, as we trust in him who became the truth for us, we are beckoned back to the law, back to the ninth commandment so that we might look at it with fresh eyes and that we might obey it with grateful hearts. After the resurrection, the apostles went from town to town proclaiming that Christ had defeated death. Acts chapter 3, we read this. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one 
and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And then the Apostle Peter says this, We are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. That last part of what Jesus or of what Peter says there, that the Holy Spirit becomes a witness to the truth, is something I'd like to consider for the rest of our sermon this evening. What made the apostles so special was that they were eyewitnesses to the life of Jesus Christ. They were always with him. They heard everything that he said, and they were witnesses of his crucifixion as well, and then his resurrection. And yet Peter says that along with the apostles, the Holy Spirit becomes a witness to the truth of Jesus Christ. What does Peter mean by this? He means quite simply that the Spirit does the work of building the church, the kingdom, the people of God in the absence of the apostles and especially in the absence of Jesus. And the Spirit does this through uh, witnessing to the truth. The Spirit witnesses to the truth and convicts the world of the truth. What the Spirit does then is open eyes to see the truth. Without the help of the Spirit, mankind would not be able to see the truth of God's word, would not be able to see our need for a Savior. Thus we read in John's Gospel, Jesus says, and we read this at the beginning of the sermon, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world uh, concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And thus, what happens when the the gospel is preached, what happens when the word of God is proclaimed is that the spirit is at work in those who hear. And the spirit is at work convincing the hearers concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The spirit is the one who is witnessing to the truth. The Holy Spirit reveals the righteousness of God and the reality of human sin. But in the hearts of The repentant, he shows mercy and assurance that God will wipe away every stain in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit also reveals the righteousness of God, which will be made known when Jesus Christ comes again in judgment. But as the gospel is preached, the Holy Spirit also bears witness to the righteousness of God that is given to us by faith in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit convinces us of sin, that it is real. The Holy Spirit convinces us of righteousness, that it is needed for eternal life. The Holy Spirit convinces us of judgment, that it is coming. The Holy Spirit bears witness to the truth about God, about what he has done, about all the things that are ultimately true. The Holy Spirit works in hearts of men, women, and children to reveal to us all of the things that our sinful flesh tries to convince us are not true. We're constantly being bombarded with lies because of our sinful flesh. Lies like this. You're not actually sinful. God does not actually require righteousness. The the whole world will not really be judged. The Spirit works to show us that all of these really are true. We really are sinful. We really do need a Savior. 
Jesus Christ really will come again to judge the world. The Holy Spirit is the opposite of one who would break the ninth commandment. All that the witness, all that the testimony, all the testimony that he gives is true. From beginning to end, from top to bottom, all that the Spirit bears witness to is true. All that God is doing, has done, and will do in this world. The Spirit works to transform our hearts, to convince our minds so that we might be made new, to be people who are truthful and truth-filled, to be people who love the Scriptures. The Scriptures also bear witness to God. But it is because the Spirit opens our minds and our hearts to the meaning of the Scriptures. And thus the Holy Spirit empowers us that we might too be witnesses for Jesus Christ in this world. Jesus says in the book of Acts that you will be my witnesses even to the very ends of the earth. Peter reminds us in his letter, his first letter, he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Notice that Peter's exhortation is that we would proclaim the excellence of God, that we would proclaim the majesty and the righteousness and the mercy and grace of God. Too often, we distill our own spiritual life down to our own personal story. And that can be very well and good in many ways. What God has done in your life, how he has shown his grace to you, how he has revealed his truth to you. But as long as our own witness remains our own personal story without connecting it to the witness of the apostles and the prophets and the saints throughout the history of the church, we will not be an effective witness in the world. The Spirit empowers us to be a witness because we then are made part of the communion of the saints, the fellowship of God's people. Thus, it is not just our own personal witness, but the corporate witness of God's people as well. The church as one body becomes a witness, witnessing to the truth of God in this world. This ninth commandment, as we began considering it, we saw the power of a witness. Truth can be asserted, decisions can be made, lives can be changed forever. The world was changed forever because of the witness of Jesus Christ. The world continues to be changed because of the ongoing witness of the Holy Spirit. And this world, in the midst of this world, God has planted his witnesses that the truth might be attested to, that the truth might be vindicated amongst this world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, Paul makes the, this, this fascinating statement that if the Corinthians are united together in their conviction of the truth and their confession of the truth, that unbelievers will say, God is really among you. If we are truth-filled and we are truthful people, as we are witnesses to God and to his grace and to his mercy, people who love the truth and live by the truth and walk by the truth, people will look at the church and they will say, God is really among them. God has set us up to be witnesses in this world and he has asked us, commanded us to be truthful and truth-filled people not by our own power but the power of God in us the church exists not for itself the church exists to point others to Jesus Christ we point others to Jesus Christ most when we love the truth when we live by the truth when we walk in the truth God 
is the truth. All that he says is true. May we, as his people, love, live, and walk in his truth always. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for another Lord's Day worshiping you. There is nothing that we would rather do than lift high your name. So may we do so then in our lives this week. We give our days, our time into your hands. Father, may we found to be faithful servants of you. May uh, your law and your gospel sink down into our hearts. May we walk by uh, your spirit always. May we not gratify the desires of the flesh. May we be people who love and live by the truth, knowing that uh, the burden of the law has been taken away because of Jesus Christ and what he has done. We thank you and we praise you in his name. Amen.